Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Keys to ESP. Once again, this is your uh, one of your uh, Team ESP members, John. Uh, I am once again joined with the rest of Team ESP here. We have the Untamer, Benson. Hi. We have the Archon Trader, Dennis. <laughs> and the Deck Opener, Josh. Hello, hello guys. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Great. Pretty good. Looking for my first deck ever because I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I am doing dandy. Fine and dandy. Awesome. So it's been uh, another week or so uh, since we last talked. Um, and uh, this uh, this week we're going to... Uh, well, it's, it's titled The Race is On. Uh, this uh, awesome title, thank you to Benson, our untamed, uh, our untamer here. Uh, with his love of rush decks, uh, decided to give us this name for this uh, week's episode, um, and we're going to be discussing about uh, Coda, and that's our main topic of discussion. Of course, we're going to uh, check in with each of the guys uh, before we get into the main topic, and then of course we will go over uh, some uh, KeyForge uh, combos that we've recently seen as well, uh, and that'll be our uh, episode this week. So, without further ado, let's check in with the guys. How have you guys been doing? Any recent um, KeyForge uh, news or happenings with each of you guys at all? Let's start with uh, Josh here. Hey, yeah, so as far as uh, actually playing, um, honestly speaking, I haven't really played recently, but I am following, well, I did previously follow... Um, a deck that I sold that was entered into the Swedish unofficial store championships. So I've recorded the games. I've commentated on all the games. I was just really curious to see how uh, Nick would pilot the deck and how it would fare against all four sets. It was a Coda, Shadows, Dis, and Untamed deck. So that's the main thing that I've been doing, just editing videos for you guys to watch and uh, just uh, chilling out. Awesome. So, so far, is, has that uh, tournament concluded at this time, or is it still kind of ongoing? Yeah, it's actually already concluded. I have the first three episodes already up, so the first three games already up. Um, every game was super exciting. Uh, the fourth game should be up by the end of the week as well. So, you know, if you guys are very interested in kind of like live gameplay or TCO gameplay, um, check it out. Cool. So, uh, how'd that deck fare anyways? Did it take it, or where did it place? Um, it placed uh, a solid 2-2, if I'm not mistaken. It won twice, lost twice, so it didn't actually make it to the top, uh, to the next, the next, uh, to the final round. Okay. Um, but, uh, every time it won, it crushed. Uh, it's just a, I think it just fell down a matchup and, uh, and slight misplays here and there, but it was all very, very, very fun. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Go, so, uh, so go and check it out on Josh's, uh, Josh's YouTube channel over there. On J Dobby, right? Yeah, Joe Dobby. <laughs> yeah, it's Joe Dobby. <laughs> J O D O B B I and then K F. Awesome. How about you, Benson? Any KeyForge news on your end? Well, Dennis and I uh, had our reps on Wednesday, um, but otherwise, uh, that was the only KeyForge that was happening. I uh, did open two new decks and uh, been making those videos there, so. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, nothing too exciting from those worlds, except for uh, a nice Tachyon Pulse in Saurians. That was fun. Um, what the, what's Tachyon Pulse? Oh, Tachyon Pulse is a Star Alliance action card. I believe there's an Ember Pip. And oh, so you, got a, you, so you pulled out a Maverick. A Maverick Tachyon Pulse nice. in Saurians, yeah. Uh, it, you play it, you destroy all artifacts, and uh, Exhaust or Stun all the uh, creatures with upgrades on them. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, no, maybe Dennis will remember more about what, we, what happened uh, on Wednesday. Uh, don't really remember. It has a, I also recorded it. Um, I couldn't take off the video off the iPhone, so I'm not really sure how to do that. It's kind of like, it's pretty difficult. Anyway, um, new stuff for Keyforge for me is I actually... Uh, I sent out a bunch of decks because I was like really behind in sending. Sorry about that, guys. For whoever's listening, sorry about that. 
Um, but yeah, so while I was organizing my mass mutation, I guess, decks, I found a display that I thought I all opened. I found a random display that's not opened. So I, I opened that on my own. And then I think I found a good deck that's going to be probably part of a triad lineup. Just saying. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, interesting. Cool. Like finding well, cash while... in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, while you guys are all opening decks and having fun, I actually tried to go out to our local store looking for some decks to buy. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's uh, no stock in this area right now, which is quite unfortunate. <laughs> um, I mean, we probably know who to blame it, who to blame for this, but uh, but just letting you guys know, it's uh, apparently a little more difficult to find stock right now in the GTA, which is quite, uh, which is a uh, which is surprising. Because generally, they're, if we're looking for stuff, we can usually find it pretty easily. But uh, that's at least in the last week. So, uh, so unfortunately, no new Keyforge stuff for me. But uh, I'm looking around, looking around for stuff. Alrighty. So, um, so it, with the uh, episode name title, it, well, the race is on. Um, we're hoping to discuss a little bit into Keyforge and the origins uh, of each of our uh, experiences. And we're going over the next couple episodes, we're going to be discussing uh, going into each different set and having a little discussion uh, in terms of our thoughts and um, our approaches to each set um, and different uh, just using those as a discussion topic. So, um, uh, following the storyline or history line of Keyforge, uh, the first set that was released was Call of the Archons, the Red Box. Um, and that's what really started everything off for us. Or at least for three of us. Uh, I believe, Josh, you came in in the second set? Yeah, during Age of Ascension, yes. Okay. But you do have experience with Coda, though, I'm guessing, right? A lot of experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So I just want to go around and see, um, you know, how did you guys get into it uh into the game um we did briefly discuss it before but just as a touch base um for me at least i started uh, actually on the release day event uh that was on a november actually i guess almost two years now um where since the since that two years prior uh release day event and i was able to actually learn a little bit about this game um hear about it from my board game side of things uh, and it was originally uh, released in, or not released, but they had like a testing um, distribution uh, at Gen Con that year and then release in November. So I was able to go to the release event, uh, pick up a deck, uh, actually have it with me right here. Uh, my deck is called The Moon of Sunshire <laughs> um, and was able to learn the game and play with, a, I believe it was like 12 to 16 people that first day. Um, and it was a pretty interesting experience, and that got me into it. Um, how about you guys? What were your first experiences, just touching base? I know we briefly discussed it. Uh, let's go with um, Dennis. Uh, yeah, so we did discuss it on our second episode, I believe. Maybe we'll bit first. Um, once again, just to recap, uh, John over here actually was the one who introduced me. We took a trip, a snowboarding trip, to uh, one of the snowboarding spots here in Canada. It's called Blue Mountain. Uh, we stayed there for the weekend. And one of our down days, or I think after we went snowboarding, he says, Dennis, take this deck. We're going to teach you how to play. And like I said, I had no idea how to play any card games. Like I watched Yu-Gi-Oh! I watched Pokemon. I knew, to a card, I knew cards. I didn't know card games at all. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like, I had no idea. Not going to lie. And then, so we played over the weekend. I think I would have won one game. But we kind of did, like, a tournament style. There yeah, were six I, of us. I think I brought up a display or something and was, like, mm -hmm. selling decks to you guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he, that, that's what he, happened. He brought a display, the first print, I think. It was one of those stand-up boxes. If you all guys remember... It's probably so hard to find those now. But yeah, um, day or two after that trip, I literally looked it up on YouTube. Um, first, like, one of the things I really liked about it is, like, I enjoyed the, the, the game so much that I, like, 
or I wasn't invested into anything. So I made my own somewhat like deck case. So I used like a hard cardboard to like make one of those to protect my deck. And I was like, that's how I got into it. Wow. So I was like, those little things are like what started for me. And then here we are now. Hmm. Nice. How about you, Benson? I think you were also in that same boat, right? Or at least uh, some, sometimes close around enough. that same time. Yeah, close yeah. enough. Um, the very first time, in truth, is I remember I was sitting right next to where John is sitting right now, to his left. Um, I was given a deck that had an orange Archon. Unfortunately, um, that deck has probably been passed on to newer players as it wasn't um, strong. That was my first introduction. Again, like uh, John was the only one that had in, uh, any knowledge of how to play, uh, what to do. So we were just following along and um, figuring out what this game is all about. Um, given my first, my only experiences were with Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and those trading card games. Um, that was where I came from. So you kind of played a lot with the battle line and things like that, um, trying to deal damage or whatnot. And then this game was very different in that, like in the title says, this set was it's a race. It's a, it's a game about getting to that finish line getting to the three keys, not about just beating down your opponent's creatures and whatnot. So that was my first introduction, um, but I was also there at that ski trip and what I'll officially deem as my quote-unquote first deck because it was a deck that I took with me for a while to play with and get to know, had uh, several features that were pretty unique. Uh, right now it's not competitive anymore, but at the time it was definitely doing fairly well. So uh, the tools, if I just quickly go through um, some special aspects of it. In Untamed, it had three ancient beers with the bear flute. Uh, so for those of you that don't know what uh, that card does, the bear flute was an artifact where you would use it as an action uh, to fully heal an ancient bear. But if there aren't any bears in play, then you would search your deck and discard pile to put each ancient bear from them into your hand. And if you do, then shuffle your discard pile into your deck. So essentially, I could bring out three creatures out of nowhere uh, in my Untamed set. And they were big ones with Assault. and or bear, The bears are five power with Assault too. So that was the board control back then, right? Um, another uh, cool fa uh, part of the deck was the Fagin-Urchin combo. Uh, so uh, Urchins are one power elusive creatures that when you play, you steal one. Uh, Fagin was a three-power elusive creature where when you reaped, um, you could return an urchin from play to your dis uh, or from your discard pile to your hand. So you could repetitively steal from people using your urchins. Um, so like a great combo from back in the day. I took it to a few uh, events in the locals. Uh, didn't do very well overall, but it definitely uh, put up a fight. So it kept uh, me motivated to try to get better to at the game to. Um, win with this deck specifically before uh, I ended up spending way more than I anticipated on this game on buying <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of new decks and trying to really find the style of deck that I wanted to play that was also competitive for the existing meta. So yeah, that was that was my experience. Cool. Josh, how about you? I know you came in a little bit later than this, right? Yes, sir. During Age of Ascension. Yeah, but uh, so how did you get into it, uh, into Keyforge? Uh, yeah, long story short, I had a buddy of mine who has like a whole library of card games. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not card games, but board games. Um, kind of like you, John. Plays a lot of card games as well. Um, and, you know, one day we were just chilling, kind of ran out of board games to play. We just wanted to hang out. Um, and he thought that was a perfect time to teach Keyforge. And luckily, me and my girlfriend were open to learn it because it happened to be one of the most fun experiences I've had. So um, to this day, a year and a half later, um, out here playing Keyforge and having a good old time. Mm -hmm. So even though your first, um, for Josh, uh, your first game was with, uh, was it an Age of Ascension deck, you said? Um, yes. So when did you get introduced into Coda then? Um, I got introduced to Coda preparing for the Grand Championships, which is, which was literally like, uh, I think only like four or five months into actually playing the game. 
because um, my friend had told me like, you know, for the Grand Championships, you're going to be facing a lot of set one decks because mm -hmm. those are the established decks, the easy to play ones that are relatively strong. Well, very strong, actually, as I ended up finding out. Um, so, you know, I started uh, using some of my AOA decks against Coda decks and facing them and learning about, you know, little intricacies and mechanics that were found in Coda. And uh, one of the most intimidating ones were Rush decks um, and Amber Control decks. So those were the two main intimidating ones. But um, yeah, it's it's been fun. And and post Grand Championships, which was September of last year, I started picking up my own Coda decks to play and to to really get a get a grasp on the on kind of on on the set there. Interesting. All right, so we should be able to get a pretty good. Uh, um... Uh, analysis from your end where you came from the second set coming back in whereas we all started kind of with the first set so that'll be interesting yeah. you'll actually get an analysis that's probably contrary to popular belief that you know um aoa is significantly inferior to coda in my opinion it's not significantly inferior but it is admittedly um inferior just not yeah. as <laughs> bad as people say it is all right well Tune in next week <laughs> for, yes, for the AOE analysis. But uh, for this for this uh, episode, we'll stick to Call the Archons for a bit. Um, awesome. So also from our previous discussions, um, we did say that, um, you know, a, a lot of our favorite houses was Shadows related just because of what it can do. Um, kind of a two-pronged uh, two -pronged, uh, method where it reduces the opponent's amber, but also giving yourself an up towards... Uh, for, for the game um so just with coda i was uh you know i wanted to ask the guys to see you know what is the best house or at least if it if it is shadows as established well probably like well what's maybe your favorite house is it the same or is it a little different right um we know shadows uh in the first set there was a lot of discussion shadows was fairly was probably the most powerful house at the same time. I believe some FFG um, organizers and even developers did um, note that Shadows did uh, kind of run all over the board um, in that set. And actually, they were trying to really hard to design uh, ways to taper back Shadows in future sets as well. Um, so was there anything specific Shadows, or is it just Shadows all way? Or do you have another house that kind of stands out to you guys uh, for this set? Uh, while the guys think, I'm just going to express my opinions. You know, Shadows is fun, um, but I I'm love Dis. Dis was so much fun. Um, for me, uh, my first uh, deck was Dis, Sanctum, and Mars. Um, and for me, that was my first uh, invite into this game. Uh, first experience, first foray. And my deck had double ember imps which was amazing because it was just annoying um and then mars with its weird kind of uh mechanism where it didn't want to play with anybody else but self um i thought was was hilarious and uh you know just the the science fiction theme in there was was really hard for uh was really strong and so for me i, I felt like you know um this was great um and that was probably my second favorite house and then probably following up would be sanctum just because of the big big bodies um uh for myself um shadows is good um but i tried to stay away from it uh, just because it was the popular opinion and i tend try very hard to stay away from popular opinion if i can how about you guys what was what was it was was shadows like your end-all be-all or or was there something else um, I could start, and I just wanted to point out that, like, Shadows has been my end-all, be-all, just from AOA all the way to Mass Mutation. Um, I love the way it's grown as well, from something that is just significantly known for steel to something that can also disrupt an opponent's hand or bounce effects, uh, bouncing cards or creatures back to your hand. Um, I love how it's been a little mix of everything. Um, my favorite Coda deck, actually, is... Uh, the Diamond Griffin. Um, it has Dis Sanctum and Shadows, which actually segues into the fact that I totally agree with you, John. I love Dis. I love Control the Weak. I love Restoring Guntis. Um, I love the Key Hammer, Lash of Broken Dreams combination. 
Um, even Overlord Grecking, because as I mentioned in the previous uh, podcast uh, episode, I'm really into controlling the board and controlling everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, this deck has double control the week, Overlord Grecking, triple charrette, um, a lot of cards that will control both your opponent's decision-making and the Amber. Um, it also has a mechanic in Shadows that I love from Coda, which is why I was really adamant on getting this deck. It is uh, Fagin Urchin. So I love the Fagin Urchin combination. Mm. Um, that mechanic to me I think is so cool. I'm totally into the roguish assassin-like archetypes because uh you know i have an mmo background and i've only always played assassins and thieves so yeah (laughs) nice yeah actually you you do bring up in terms of discs and whatnot there's a lot of uh coda based cards that didn't get reprinted i believe uh control the weekend restrictions i believe those were only first set right yeah they're totally unique to the first set um they've shown up in other ways uh in mass mutation for example but you know what? Like those cards in Coda were just all reward and no kind of drawback, which is why I think they they were taken out of the the rotation. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I, I stand corrected. Actually, Ristraguntis was also in the second set as well. So, but oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Actually, correct. Yeah, but I've seen most of the time. I believe Ristraguntis and Control the Week were the big combo to lock people out. So. Where, where Control of the Week is, is only a uh, coded, coded card, so... Yeah. A lot of ruling questions actually brought up between that those two cards' interactions early on into the to the game, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. How about you, Benson? Um, what are your thoughts on Coda? Um, so, best house... I Yeah, I would agree Shadows um, still deserves the crown, uh, but obviously my favorite as you introduced me as such, is Untamed. Um, so looking at the two, and I just pulled up a few photos that I saved for all the cards in that set, um, I was just briefly reviewing this, essentially the strengths of those houses, and it all revolves around how the meta sat at the time for Coda. Uh, like these days, it's a bit different, but back then, since it was all about the Amber Pools, that's why Shadow sat on top. Um, it had all the amber control and the best form of it, which is stealing rather than capture. So comparing to Sanctum, because back then there wasn't a way to really move that amber from a creature to your pool. Um, it was just, it sat there until the creature was gone and then the amber would go back. So with stealing, you're taking their amber from them and you're keeping it for yourself. And that net gain is just that much better, which made shadows deservedly, uh, the best house in Coda. Mm-hmm. Um, other tools that it had. So aside from that, the creature control was a bit below of average, I would say. So it had several removal tools, but no really big wipe per se. Um, I mean, for big wipes, it was mainly with um, poison waves. Oh yeah, yeah. No, but within shadows itself, right? Oh, within shadows. Okay. Yeah, within shadows, it was a lot of uh, like certain creature was skirmish or poison poison was probably the uh the main strength of shadows creatures uh with like moon cursor and things like that right it was only two wasn't it it was just moon cursor and masses uh the masses ass masses up yeah uh but we didn't really see poison in any other creature uh yeah. maybe one in untamed but uh yeah like that was oh, uh, so the I, spider think of the spider yeah, yeah um yeah. But other than that, like, uh, you didn't really see the term poison in any other house, to my memory. Um, no, yeah, first set, I don't think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it had some solid artifacts, too, like Subtle Maul, messing with people that way. Uh, but yeah, like, Shadow sat as a king because of that. Though Untamed, as we've discovered since, uh, because of the Rush archetype decks, uh, that actually was more likely... Uh, or from what I've seen in tournament settings, in terms of who ended up winning it, it was the Rush deck archetype that won. Now, the caveat is that what style of Rush? There is um, the pure Amber generation and key cheating your way to victory that Untamed is known for. And then there's the uh, Amber control version of, okay, if your opponent has been generating then you just steal and ramp up your Amber with their Amber. And that's what Shadows does, right? So, um, 
the combination of the two was probably uh, some of the best decks out there. And the, the third supportive house uh, would probably be between Logos and Dis. So uh, we've all heard uh, that like that triple threat house um, within each set. So for Coda, it was Logos, Shadows, and Dis. Um, mainly a Logos to help you cycle, Dis to disrupt, uh, as well as do a bit of Amber Control and shadows is the king of amber control so uh you would all you would have a higher chance of winning if you had that set of houses uh just from like what we've seen in play now that's of course within the coda meta and untamed was probably sitting at the fourth spot um when everybody was thinking oh amber control amber control amber control is like the most important thing and then we see uh some tournaments where it's like okay you have the untamed set with uh, that combo. So whether you have a full moon or more ideally would be a hunting witch set, um, one or two, and uh, like a bunch of dust pixies with nature's call, a choda for key cheating, like that combo was the staple in uh, a rush deck in Coda, right? So I think that gave uh, the other type, which is Logos, Shadows, and Dis, a run for its money in that well, if you can key cheat your way to victory, there's nothing the opponent can do. Uh, key cost control was something that was very limited in Coda. So I think Lash of Broken Dreams and Dis was one of the primary ways to increase key cost for your opponent. Uh, yeah, and then Jammer Coda. Pack from Mars, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, Jammer, uh, jammer Pack with jammer Grabber pack. Jammer and things like that, right? So. Um, you, you needed those creatures and that, that artifact on the board to be able to use it to increase the cost and time it right so anybody playing this rush deck would be paying an exorbitant amount of amber to, to forge. Uh, but aside from that key cost counter, if you can key cheat, you can spend all the amber you just gained and there's not much to steal from shadows. So that would be your out, right? Um, mm -hmm. And like... Uh, we back then I remember we were all talking about that OTK deck, um, which Mars I would say is also one of the strong houses, and now it's gonna like kind of spread sp spread the subject is like best three became best four became best five, um, yeah. but Mars with the right setup of cars became a really good support. So the OTK decks that we've seen one either at either had the Untamed set with the Chota Hazri Nature's Call build or we had the uh battle fleet key abduction set in mars um so the difference being if you had all the draw capability in that deck that mars set would potentially be better because you don't rely on amber per se but you rely on cards in your hand and you can get a free key out of it so for viewers that are listeners that don't know what those cards are um, key Abduction is the key cheat that was in Mars. It gave you an Amber Pip, and uh, you would bring back all your Mars creatures back to hand, and then forge a key at plus 9 cost, which, like, when I first saw that card, I was like... Well, uh, but then I'm you reduce it. it. Yeah, yeah, but, no, but then, no, but then you reduce... You reduce the, for each card in your hand. Card. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I left that part out. Um, so, yeah, so Potentially, if you had a big Mars board, you bring them all back... Or, or initially, you get them to reap whatever you need to do and then bring them all back and then fill up your hand and then you could potentially forge for even less than six if you had enough cards. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there was that one deck that had multiple copies of Key Abduction. So if you ended up drawing through your deck, you have them all in your hand. You, if you had the deck with three copies, you could play them in succession and just win the game right there. Mm -hmm. um, so those uh, type of OTK uh, one-turn kill... Those super decks that were uh, in the pile at the time, um, that's what people were kind of seeking after. Um, mm -hmm. Other pieces, uh, so pulling in a Logos card is like Time Traveler um, with library access. Uh, but, and we should mention later on, is the... Um, yeah, we, so there's a lot of broken combos that can come up. Um, exactly. But I'm just going to hold it right there because I actually yeah. want to you know what Dennis wants to... What's Dennis's... Uh, houses uh, or favorite house. I mean, I, I think I already know, but I just want him to say, speak for himself in terms of what he thinks about is the best house in Coda. Um, so Dennis, want to share your thoughts real quick? 
Yeah, you guys probably already know. It's always <laughs> been Shadows, every set. So definitely Code of Shadows, to me, is the best. It's the best house on its own in the last four sets. All of the sets and all of the different houses in each set, I think Coda Shadows is still the best. Um, with that being said, I wanna Benson did cover a lot of meta or slash a lot of combos, slash a lot of things that can happen in Coda. Um, what he didn't mention, what what I noticed that everybody else didn't mention is that the Coda meta itself, as we mentioned, it is rush, but you can win with no board. You don't need a board in Coda. If you can burst either in Shadows, which is a big steal, either you steal all their opponents' Amber, or you can burst with Untamed with like all Untamed in your other archives or in your hand, you can literally, like as Benton said, OTK. So in Coda, the first set. So what's what's OTK for some of the listeners? Um, it's, it's most commonly known as one turn kill or like one turn. Uh, yeah, one it, turn kill. Yeah, one yeah. turn kill. Yeah. Um. So it, what it is is like a, a set of cards that can forge either two keys or three keys at once. At one time, I did have an OTK deck. Okay, the most common OTK set was the lands deck, which is your library access and the fancy deck. Pre errata library access, you play a card, you draw a card. And then if you have the artifact and tame uh, the artifact from untamed called Nepensi, bring back any card. So you bring back library access and you draw your whole deck. You pretty much you have your whole deck in your hand, you play a key cheat. That's it. And then they have to errata that because of how strong it is. So the point is Coda can hit you in many different ways. But it's essentially just build up a board, fill up your pool. You don't really need a board. Also, I wanted to mention that board-based decks in Coda aren't, I would say, they're not as famous slash they're not as good compared, like if you're just talking about the Coda meta, like the first set meta, you don't really need a board to win. The game has progressed since then, and we're probably going to cover that later. But I've had a lot of decks that I don't need a board to win. Just by isolation coda itself. Yeah, not having a board, like not having to put down creatures or even just minimal number of creatures on the board um, to reap, to fight, or etc. It's more of just like kind of throwing cards down to generate the amber required kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my interpretation of not needing a board is like actually using the creatures for coda because a lot of the untamed rush is actually coming from your creatures. The hunting witches, the dust pixies, the nature's calls, right? The Chota Hazri, the Kichi. Uh, so yeah, it's I think I think uh, to make it clear for some of our listeners, no board really means probably means not using them at all. Like not using the creatures, just putting them down to generate amber. Yeah. Also, also I wanted to mention the fact that Coda um, had a lot of passive effects. Like like just Josh said, you don't need to use it to affect the game. Like let's say Hunting Witch. You just put it down, and you put down another creature. A passive effect. Mother, you increases your when you put it down, it increases your key, your the size of your hand. Uh, what else? Um, succubus. You play it down. Their opponent has one less card in their hand. So a lot of passive effects. Um, that was the Coda meta. Honestly, it was a very, I would say, cut and dry. I wouldn't say simple. There are a lot of intricate stuff in it, but it was the simplest set out of the four so far, for sure. Yeah, I think it's more I mean, simple as like straightforward, where mm-hmm. it became very one-dimensional to a certain extent. If you went to a tournament where it was Archon and everyone brought their own decks and not a sealed environment, uh, you just pretty much saw the, everyone going with the same or similar type of um, deck. I mean... Thank goodness Keyforge is a unique card game, so not not every single deck is the same, but um, it would end up becoming very similar where you always would see an Untamed or uh, Shadows. And if you did see those houses, you can expect specific cards to be in those sets, right? Either a Library Access in a Logos house or um, or some sort of Key Cheat, either Key Charge or Chota in an uh, Untamed or Bait and Switch, which was a big one uh, in Shadows, right? 
So I think in terms of, uh, I mean, F- thanks props to FFG for actually pushing out those erratas when they did came out uh, for bait and switch, uh, library access, and a few cards that did cause uh, kind of like a broken uh, game to a certain extent. But I mean, it did come out, I believe uh, the errata came out once, like towards the end of the first set or even into the second set being released before those uh, big changes actually did come out. So there, it did provide some time for a lot of people to uh exploit those uh or not exploit but i guess play the play the game and and make it uh almost like a negative experience for some people that are on the receiving end of that um and i mean i was unluckily one or i was on the receiving end of of an otk deck at a tournament and i mean i'm not knowing what was going on i kind of was blown out of the water and i was like oh my god (laughs) i didn't get to play at all it was it kind of sucked but um yeah. but i'm glad i mean there are ways around that now and uh ffg does uh put ways to you know make sure that the game does flow pretty well <laughs> i have a question for you guys since uh this is probably not one of the few times we're going to discuss Kota itself and this is way like uh, about two years ago um looking back at it now i think there's better ways for them to errata the cards the, the two big erratas which is library access and beat and switch mm-hmm. um i think that first errata to me is a little too much. There's ways around it. I think they they could have done a better job. I'm not saying that I know better than them. It's more just like it wasn't too. It, it could have been a little bit better. What do you guys think? Because I have a couple ways to try to see to try to like if I was gonna errata it myself, I have a couple ways to try to think about it. So what do you guys think? Yeah. You mean like a different way to errata or yeah, a different way to errata it. Hmm. What do you guys? I mean, think? I, I, well, I'll I'll let Benson or Josh speak up, and I mean, I have I have a couple thoughts as well. But uh, my first thought on bait and switch uh, was that that one was probably not the most necessary because uh, we're looking at three main cards within that set that uh, prevented the rush decks from going too high too fast. So we have too much to protect, and we have interdimensional graft. Uh, and along with bait and switch was one of the um, cards that would prevent that as well. So uh, to explain all the cards, um, bait and switch was you steal one, and if the opponent has more than you, you steal another one. And, and you repeat it. You can, and you, you keep repeat repeating that. it before the errata. The errata made it so that you could only repeat it once. So you would only mm-hmm. steal to a maximum of two. So uh, for any deck that could, let's say, amass over 10 pieces of amber, um, that would be one card, especially, and it's very situational, because if you made it so that your opponent was keeping pace with you, then that card's not really a threat. But if you have a large discrepancy exactly. of Amber, then it's it then becomes a threat. So that card was more situational. That didn't necessarily require that errata, in my mindset as well, at the, especially at the exactly. time. Uh, now it's like you live with what you get, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but looking at the other, so too much to protect one Amber pip when you play it, and you steal all but six of your opponent's amber. So straight up, uh, on your turn, you gain that, that amber difference. Um, and you don't take them off a key. So I guess that's why that didn't matter. And interdimensional graft was when your opponent forges a key, you get the leftover amber that wasn't used. So uh, those three, initially prior to the errata, were the main counters to any deck that rushes too high too fast. So you would have to keep an eye out on those. But taking, but having a routed blade and switch, that was one card less. So that empowered the rush archetype within the mm-hmm. meta to like, okay, yeah, just run up on Amber. If they don't have those two cards, then it doesn't matter. All I need to do mm-hmm. is just push out Amber. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, like also, quote-unquote, simplified the game for the first set. Uh, as for library access, uh, yeah, like I think uh, Dennis and I both had like this discussion of how it could have been better. Um, in terms of how to uh, how to errata it, so originally yes, uh, the lands deck. So library access using the pensy, bring it back from the discard pile because uh, based off the uh, manual, you play all your action cards into your discard pile, and and uh, do the effect. So that's how you would be able to bring it back on the same turn with the uh, pensy, which is a artifact where you action you bring back a dis- a card from your discard pile. So that's how you keep repeating that cycle, uh, that create that OTK deck. Now, 
the errata has made it so you have to purge um, library access after you use it. So it leaves the game, there's no way to bring it back, and especially in Coda, there was no way to bring it back. In Worlds Collide, there was that universal recycling bin that you could bring back a purge card, but again, that's very rare and difficult to pull off. Now, the alternate way is essentially what you want to do is not make it possible for somebody to do a double library access on the same turn. So uh, the way that could be done is if uh, it was modified, so cards that are played are played onto the field first and until the effects are done with completely and then they leave play. So mm -hmm. for a lasting effect like that for the turn, you played it onto the, uh, onto the field that action card's in play, so for the rest of the turn you draw, uh, and there's no card that I know of that allows you to return an action card from the field to your hand. Nepenthe specifically says discard pile. So mm -hmm. that, would, that would be another way to kill the land, uh, that OTK deck, where, and you don't essentially gimp library access. Um, and make it make a lot of decks become unusable in Coda, where they relied on that draw capacity for uh, the library access, but did not have mm -hmm. the way to repeat it. So a lot of those decks ended up becoming a lot weaker as a fa as a result of that errata. Mm -hmm. um, so between those two, that, that that's how I feel, and that's my stance on it. I don't know if uh, Josh had something to add as well. Um. Yeah, I'm actually going to be on the side of the developers here in their decision-making because the way I see it is bait-and-switch could be brought back by Nepenthseed, for example, right? Because it just goes to your discard pile. And the impact of bait-and-switch, uh, when you're thinking about the future sets as well, is absolutely, could be absolutely devastating because there's no condition apart from the fact that, you know, um, does your opponent have more Amber than you? Now that could mean something as small as having one or two more Amber than you, or that could mean something as 10 or 15 more. And that could be absolutely chaotic when you're looking at Worlds Collide or Mass Mutation when there's just so much Amber on the board, right? And no way to address bait and switch in such a way that you could totally devastate the experience for someone else if, if, if there's so much Amber on the board and then you play a board wipe and then that ember goes to the opponent, and then you just drop a, a bait and switch and steal literally everything. Um, that's, in my opinion, that's a little too much of a tide-turning, game-changing play. Because if you're ahead of the game, and you, you should be rewarded for being ahead of the game by being that much closer to the win con. And I think playing a card that is bait and switch minus the errata, the original bait and switch, just would just ruin the experience for someone who knows he or she should be winning this game, for example, right? It takes you from the point of no return to absolute victory, which is why I think from an experience standpoint, it's good that it's errata to such a degree. In addition to that, Nepseed allowing you to recur that card multiple times in a game could just terrify, <laughs> terrify people. Um, and the reason why I think too much to protect is like, for example, the, and the other steel cards are totally fine is because they have a more restricting, like the condition in order to pull them off is a little more restricting. For example, in order to Nepenthe too much to protect your opponent has to have and find it useful. Your opponent has to have more than six Amber, right? And even then you can't necessarily take them off a key. Right. Um, and, and, and I think steel has its place in the game. But bait and switch is just, you're going to see a bait and switch. If bait and switch was not eroded, you would see it in every single deck, um, competitive uh, tournament played. And, and I don't think that's the direction um, Keyforge is going, uh, which is why that's my, been my main gripe with Coda is that, you know, because of the nature of Coda and the nature of how specific certain specific houses play, what you're looking at is when you enter a tournament, you're going to see three things. You're going to see a restrictive disc, a super rush untamed, or a super steel shadows. And I just prefer diversity in a game. Um, I prefer a lot of different play styles. 
Um, and I think bait and switch, I'm I'm totally fine with the errata. It's not a big deal to me. And as far as library access, um, I'm glad that they turned it into library card. I like library card in Mass Mutation. Um, it's basically library access, but in an artifact form, because it doesn't feel like a total waste if you just play library access from your hand and it busts, because you can at least put it on the board as library card, and you're in control of when you want to play it. So you can curate that hand, build that logos hand before finally using library card. And to me, I think that is the best version of the errata possible, just turning it into an artifact, but still purging it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, in terms of errata, I, don't know, I mean, I guess I stand even more with the developers than what Josh mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, where where you come from. I feel like in terms of the errata, it may have felt hard-handed at that point in time where the implementation was. But knowing what we know now as well, uh, that the that developers are, you know, three, four sets ahead of the release Agreed. schedule, Agreed, I would yeah. think that, you know, they did take those into considerations in terms of other uh, ways of implementation. Uh, maybe something with that play area thing that Benson, that Benson mentioned, right? But that would technically maybe even change the way people play the game, right? introduce like another aspect or another section of the game which may have not flowed with other sets that were being in development um etc and you know i mean i i know a lot of people were really unhappy with those with those erratas when they did come through but i don't know i i believe you know i i want to say that you know the developers the creators of the game um you know have the game in mind and what's best for it um, knowing that they are developing for, you know, however many um, sets down the road, other cards, other interactions, taking those into account, which, you know, normal players may not, will not see, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like maybe perhaps, you know, I would side and say, you know, what FFG did was in their idea was the best possible way. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I think it would be really really weird for them to not consider multiple options um, to have an implementation and to, you know, be pretty certain before coming out with a specific uh, change to the game. Yeah, yeah that's and, a great and point. And if I can just, like, what I mentioned earlier, right? Like, if you look at the sets now when there's so much Ember on the board, bait and switch, you're going to see bait and switch in every competition moving forward, no matter what the set is, because of the nature of where this game is going. This game is going towards more mul looking at multiple avenues in how to manipulate Ember, whether it's on the board, through action cards, through artifacts. And when there's too much Ember on the board, if all that Ember somehow happens to land on one player, that bait-and-switch play could be devastating for that player, right? And it could mean the difference between being three, two keys ahead of someone and ultimately losing the game. So I think the errata is totally fine. I think they really considered the future of the game versus the now. And I think us players initially, when we when we first heard of the errata, we were thinking about the now. I <laughs> agree. Uh, like so, listening to everybody talk now, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, one thing I didn't think about was the fact that the um, uh, FFG was looking ahead into the future sets and how it would be integrated. And and for sure the the thought of adding that play area situation, yes, that would alter a lot of deep, uh, things and make it a lot more complicated. So um, I definitely see uh, those points and agree. Um, specifically with uh, bait and switch, though. Uh, so I agree, but on a different point or for in a different situation rather than the one that Josh pointed out. So. The one that Josh pointed out is when there's a sudden influx of amber towards the opponent and you play bait and switch to take a lot off, right? Uh, if I understood that correctly, Josh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in that case, I feel like it's the same, uh, or like TM, uh, Too Much to Protect and Interdimensional Graft would have played a similar role in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. So I in for bait and switch in that circumstance, yes, it would just be a third card that does the same thing. I don't think it eroding it would ha uh, have an impact on that situation. The situation that's probably more hard-hitting, in, in my opinion, is 
that situation where you're at eight amber or let's say up to ten amber that's the that's the range where bane swish can hit the hardest uh, reason being is if you just forged used up their amber and timed it right and used bait and switch when your opponent was hitting 10 you could steal five of it so one card takes them below the cost to forge a key whereas the other cards would still like let them forge assuming you have no other way of taking them down further right but in terms of the sheer capacity of the deck uh, sorry of the card um bait and switch should not be able to hit harder in the situation described where there's a huge influx of amber as a TMTP uh, with uh, a sub like a follow-up card to take them off. Um, that's just my uh, two cents on that specific situation. But yeah, like otherwise, I do agree. At the end of the day, uh, the developers did the right thing. And in the long run, it's going to be a positive impact on the game, not a negative one. Uh, it's just... I was sharing that initial reaction at the time of like within the Coda meta within with only knowing what we knew and being an inexperienced player or without the understanding of how these game developments work. Um, the initial reaction was the why. Uh, but yeah, like everything everybody said is absolutely right. And I agree. Okay. So while everybody uh, gave their opinion uh, and their thoughts on it, um, just want to say that I guess the the way I'm thinking about this from a competitive standpoint. So we're in four sets now, right? So Coda, if we're gonna go to like a big tournament, like let's say primes, I think Coda's gonna be pushed out. It's gonna be the first, the latest three sets. So that Coda mechanics will totally be gone. Uh, number two, if on the developer side of things, I understand that they are of the game's future and how the future interactions will come into play on that note though if the, the errata for library access was in the middle of aoa which the mechanic of alpha was already in the game in my opinion the errata they could have put is put library access as an alpha card so even if it's on a discard pile you cannot bring it back for another alpha for another turn so even if the pencil's on the board, you can't bring it back because it's an alpha card. You can't play it twice. Uh, number two, in bait and switch, where I literally figured this out is because you can bait out bait and switch. If you have, if you're one one to one key, your opponent wants you want to take your opponent off the board, go to seven, go to eight, bait out that bait and switch, and run right up to on amber. So like there's. If you see the card in the Archon format, the question is, how do you play around it? It's a similar, it's a similar f mindset if you're looking at too much to protect or too, too much to protect. How do you play around it? So that's, to me, that's why I have a gripe on the Erratas. It's just like, if the Erratas wasn't there, you, it forces you to think about it. And like, like I said, in the Pen Seed, um, the Lance deck, why they eroded that is because that deck won a Volt Tour. And it was um, broadcasted to everybody and everybody saw it. That as like, oh, this deck needs to be eroded. Like this card needs to be eroded. I think that was the reason why um, Lance decks got eroded. And that deck literally, it's still strong, but it's not as strong as before. So like the way I'm thinking about it is you can play around those big steals and you can implement the fact that things can be alpha, so you don't have to use it multiple times. And I do agree that the library card um, aspect of things is um, it's a good errata, but you can totally change the how the card plays too, right? Make it an artifact. That's in future sets though, but that's besides the point. So like the, the way I'm seeing it is if you're thinking about it in the future, you can implement, I guess, a little bit future mechanics into the errata. So that's how I would have eroded the cards. Hmm. I mean, I mean, playing that alpha thing, I think, is a good idea. If it, if if memory serves me, it was within the second set. But then I believe then it would introduce just from a game like a game or a game uh, a game set idea, right? You would be introducing just one keyword in the whole set, and then so if someone picks up, you know, a 
call the Archon thing and they see an Alpha, then they have to explain what Alpha is for this one card for the full set. Mm. I mean, there there are multiple ways to do it, but that mm. just seems like it'll be really confusing for someone who's just focusing on Coda or something, right? For sure. Yeah. For so. Sure. But I mean, at the end of the day, what we have is the is the errata that we have now, and of course, FFG has uh, pushed out other erratas for other cards. Um, but actually, I've, speaking of erratas, I don't think there's any set that has more erratas in it than like so. Errata is like a, a permanent change to a card uh, in in play um, than the first set. I mean, there were a couple other ones. Uh, one or two cards for clarification purposes or a minor change, but mm-hmm. I think Coda only ha- was the only set with even like three cards that got permanently changed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What was the third? Uh, so it was Library Access, um, Bane Switch. Was there a third one? I don't, I don't know. remember. Well, I mean, listeners, if there is a third one from the first set, feel free to let us know. Um, and we can definitely carry this conversation a lot further uh, into the future in regards to changes into permanent changes into Keyforge. Um, but as we are nearing our one hour mark for, for this episode, <laughs> um, I just, you know, we, we've had a lot of discussions with Coda, uh, a huge discussion about Errata and stuff. But um, from the first set, uh, I did ask the guys previously to figure out to come with their favorite card um, and maybe a brief description of why. Why is your favorite card out of the first set of Coda? Um, anybody want to go first uh, just to share what your first what your favorite card is? No. <laughs> favorite card many? from the first set. Yeah. Mimicry. Hey. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I like that. Yeah. Um. It's in the house that I love, and it uh, also stands the test of time, uh-huh. since action cards aren't going anywhere, and there's always going to be a function for it that your opponent's deck provides for you, and uh, also all the great memories I had with that card. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Mimicry is is a is a fun card. Very future proof as well. Yep. Yep. Josh, you got one from the first set. Uh, it's tough, man. Um, not yet. You'll probably want to edit this out. Go ahead, you guys. First. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's gonna be. It used to be bait and switch. It really used to be, but now it's too much to protect. Just because. In my head, if I'm holding that card or if the opponent's holding that card, it's either threatening or I'm not threatened. So it's like another layer of, I guess, thinking or like just in your head, it's like, do you have it or you don't? So mm-hmm. it's threatening. Mm-hmm. Cool. Man, I'm, I'm split between a few cards, but it's either going to be Massis Asp <laughs> or Mind Warper. Maybe for Massus Ass because I love calling it a different thing that sounds really familiar, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't be saying. Um, and it and it, it is literally a big pain in the butt mm-hmm. when it does come out. Generally, um, it's a massive pain in the butt. Yes. <laughs> so so the Massus Ass um, there it is currently still in in circulation uh, in sets. It's a three power creature with poison. It's just a giant snake. I just love it, and it's poison and skirmish so it can basically bite anybody and die and kill it and not die and continue its reign of terror on the board uh even even though you know with coda a lot of people say that you know you don't need a board but when you do have a board it it can take care of things pretty handedly and then of course second one is mind warper just because uh from mars uh, it's a two-powered elusive creature that has an action where it says the opponent's uh, creature captures one amber from the opponent, uh, which is amazing. I just love it because it's so annoying when it comes <laughs> down. And the artwork itself is, I don't know, it's its pretty cool. It's aliens, it's green, its it has this, like, just super annoying when it comes down. People feel like they need to get rid of it. Um, and And... 
Mind Warper has helped me in so many ways. I have a deck with two of them, which is just give me your, you take your own amber makes the opponent. So it's one of those like memes where you see people was like, why are you slapping yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Right? <laughs> it's just making the opponent kind of like mess with themselves. And then you just kind of laugh at the same time. All right. So, so I got one. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, have, I actually have two. So one is within the set and one is across all sets. So the first one is actually funny enough. It's speed sigil. And that card Ooh. is within the set of Call of the Archons. I love Speed Sigil. It speeds up the entire deck. Sure, it'll speed up your opponent as well to a certain degree, but that's something you can work around fairly easily, right? You can choose when to drop it. You can wait for specific creatures that your opponent um, drops before playing it, for example. But I love the combination that Speed Sigil can have with all the other cards um creatures in your um coda deck and just for people who don't know speed sigil is an artifact uh it provides an amber bonus and it says the first creature played each turn enters play ready so a readied fagin is a threat a readied um Big pain bullet of- eye, bullet eye is a threat. Already, Mac the knife is a threat. I'm just naming out shadows cards, <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're all threats, and it's great. Even a zookeeper that is readied, which allows you to take, literally deny your opponent of their creatures by archiving it, is a threat. Yeah, I mean, now, yeah, that's a great yeah. card because when it comes down, it changes the way people play. So, yes. in my head, um, whenever that card's out. Any reap effect, any action, any fight effect becomes a play effect. So you can use it right away. So forget all the reap effect, action effect, fight effect. You play it, it beca- you play a card, it becomes a play effect. So you get an extra bonus use out of it right away. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the other card is um, Mac the Knife. That's a three-powered creature. Yeah, three power creature, has elusive, and I believe it has an action. Um, when you action out Mac the Knife, you can either you destroy you can a deal creature, one. Is that the one? No, no, Mac the Knife is, uh, you can use it as if it's part of the active house and deal okay. one, action deal one damage. If it kills it, you gain an amber. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so Mac the Knife, three power elusive creature. You may use Mac the Knife as if it belonged to the active house. Action, deal one damage to a creature. This damage destroys that creature, gain one. Um, even within the set, Mac the Knife is disgusting because it doesn't matter what house you call. You're essentially having an extra creature to play, an extra creature that can generate Ember. And there's so much you can do. Um, Mac the Knife is my favorite card in my favorite deck of the third set. Uh, worlds collide um and that's because of the blasters so you can literally use mac the knife Mm. as a conduit uh as a holder of your blasters until you get the right creatures down and i've done some pretty nasty things with mac the knife frames blaster and officer frame so boom yeah once again that's another that's another topic josh (laughs) amen looking ahead here fair enough it plays into his yeah. preferred style of play as well with the house cheating so exactly Great he's, just cheating. he's cheating through the discussion as well he's, he's <laughs> set <laughs> cheating now hey guys just wait till we get to the later sets man i'm gonna go off awesome okay well since well, everybody had multiple i'm gonna add in like one or two more control the week because I have a love-hate relationship with that card. Um, <laughs> some of you remember that one game. I literally got controlled the week three times in a row and lost the game when I was ahead two keys to none. Uh, yeah, that happened. And on um, Josh's note of house cheating, um, I should have pulled this up earlier, but the upgrade in Sanctum that mm. turns your creature in to uh essentially universal creature so mantle of the zealot mantle of the zealot yes because it's way better than the experimental therapy card in logos where you have to stun it um you can use it right away 
and it played a early role into a deck that I owned. So, yeah, three cards. Alrighty. Well, once again, um, I mean, it's been great uh, to speak with all you guys again um, and touch base once more. But uh, it's past our one-hour mark, and uh, to spare our listeners from our (laughs) continuous bantering, um, I mean, maybe we'll spin it off and continue on our Coda discussion next week, or maybe we'll move on to actually talk about uh, Josh's set, <laughs> Age of Ascension. <laughs> and there's we'll lots see. to talk about, boys and girls. And yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where, where, where we'll be uh, next People week. And, um, hopefully our episode this week has given some thought uh, into Keyforge, uh, hopefully sparks a little bit more discussion amongst the community in regards to Call of the Archons and maybe even some discussion about, you know, whether or not people think the Urata was is a good thing or not. Maybe they should change it back. Um, we are Team ESP, and of course, uh, you can reach out to us at uh, our email um, at extrashards at gmail.com e-x-t-r-a-s-h-a-r-d-s at gmail.com we welcome any and all comments um, critiques uh, how to maybe um, put uh, put out better content for for everyone um, in the Keyforge community and uh, once again we thank you for listening to us and until next week uh, this has been John the Untamer Benson the High Templar Archon Trader Dennis <laughs> and the deck opener Josh. Uh, each of you guys want to plug your connections on social media and YouTube and stuff? Uh, Dennis? Twitch.tv slash DC Trace. Gonna open more decks. Cool. Josh? Hello. Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, O W K F J O D O double B I K F. And Benson. And my tag is Chaos Chrono. C H A O S C H R N O. Yeah, it's missing one O. Um, you can find me on YouTube and on Twitch. All right, and this is John. Uh, thank you once again for listening to the Keys to ESP. We'll see you later. Happy forging, everybody. Ha <laughs> ha. Bye. <laughs>